Grab your favorite caffeinated beverage and get cozy because you are listening to Mindful as a Mother with Paige Bruce and Lindsay Adams. Hey, hey, I just wanted to pop on here real quick before the episode starts and give a quick disclaimer. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship, and the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Now that that's out of the way, I really hope you enjoy this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoy it because it helps the podcast grow. And don't forget to be peace, be love, be mindful as a mother. Hello and welcome back to Mindful as a Mother. It's Lindsay and I'm sitting here with Paige. Say hey, Paige. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Yeah, welcome back. What what a week, right? We're coming off two really good episodes with the Childhood Collective. I really appreciated those interviews and I think that they were really valuable for our audience. Yes. So if you have not listened to those, you should go back and listen to them. But today we are talking about what are we talking about today, Paige? Monsters. Oh, scary stuff. Okay. Yeah, and today we're talking about monsters. And so we continue on our journey with Your Brain's Not Broken by Tamara Rosier, PhD. Right? We're we're sliding back in. And so today we're going to talk about monsters and how they show up for kids and adults. And it's some really interesting correlations between um, ADHD and anxiety, which I think sometimes anxiety can fall underneath the neurodivergent umbrella and you can experience them at the same time. So let's dive right in. All right, let's do it. We know that ADHD is a superpower. And one of the things that it does for us is it allows us to be wildly creative. That's my term. I love wildly creative. And in the book, she mentions it as brilliantly imaginative. Both, I think, are solid. In one of our previous episodes, Lindsay and I talked about how we were able to use out-of-the-box thinking or divergent thinking to really get creative and problem-solving some things that were happening, like Lindsay's trip from hell, otherwise known as Mexico. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The return trip from hell, yeah. And that was actually Texas that was hell. So Mexico was fine. Just Texas. Dallas is the problem. Yeah. Every time I travel through Texas, I'm so sorry to our Texas listeners. I'm just going to say it though. You can email me about being angry and I will validate that. Every time I travel through Texas, it is a black abyss. Something always goes wrong and I'm trapped there much longer than I think I should be. And it's already takes so long to travel outside of Texas. Yeah, you just don't mess with Texas. Like, you just don't. Like, that's why they say that, I guess. That's why they say that for this very literal (laughs) experience. We were driving through Texas one time in the middle of the night. And um, we hit an already dead deer. Like, somebody had hit it in front of us. Not a deer. Something with antlers. Maybe Texas people will know. But do you it have was already too sometimes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Now do have that one. Yeah. Okay. 
So potentially deer then, but it was already dead in front of us and it was like pitch blackout. And so they hit it and then we drove over the antlers and they punctured oh. our tires. And so oh. I, right. And I changed the one tire that I can change and the other one flat as flat, dead, dead as a doornail. Is that what we say? Okay. Yeah. So there are no roadside assistance people within hours of us. I don't even know where we were at. Didn't know what we were going to do on the side of the road. We finally get a hold of some like offshoot towing company that happens to be awake. They're off the clock. They come, they pick us up and they tow us to the nearest Walmart where we sleep in the car until they open so we can get a new tire. That sounds awful. It was so many miserable. It was miserable. And so that is my opinion of Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys already heard my experience in Texas. I had to meditate to think of a plan to get, to get out of Texas. So, and this is before I was more healed. So I was just unhinged and exhausted. And Texas takes like, well, 16, 18 hours to drive through anyways. And we were on our way to Florida. So it was just a hot mess, but We know we can be wildly creative, individuals with ADHD, wildly creative. But how, Lindsay, and this is a question for you, how could this also be a pitfall for us? Well, my wildly creative brain will often enter into or think of scenarios that are unlikely or not relevant. And then I start spinning on those things. Exactly. And so a shorter term for that, monsters. Has your child ever told you that they were afraid of monsters in their room? This is also a real question. Yes, yes. What did you do? Mm, well, I used the monster spray, like uh, that we we made, we made monster spray. And then I like validate their fears, but then I also try and make them feel safe that there's not monsters there okay so we're gonna talk about two different approaches approach one monster spray for our listeners monster spray is a spray you create that helps keep away monsters it can be as complicated or simple as you want sometimes it can be a spray bottle with just water other times it's like a spray bottle with essential oils or something that smells good or that they like right and then your kiddo gets to use it spray their room keeps monsters away. So one approach, monster spray. Second approach, just logic about how monsters aren't real. How are those two scenarios going for you? Um, well, it depends on the kid and the night and um, yeah, but neither of them go well 100% of the time. Which one goes well more often? The spray. Okay. That's what I thought you would say. And in my own experience as a children's counselor, that goes better more often. Why? Because I specialize in neurodivergence and anxiety. So something that is interesting about us wildly creative individuals is that sometimes we need wildly creative solutions to things. And so when our children are experiencing monsters, 
what they're doing is they're using divergent thinking, right? This wild offshoot every scenario thinking. And when I think of divergent thinking, a new example I have in my mind is when people say one word and then I'm thinking of that word, but then everything associated with that word. And then what happens if that word wasn't a word anymore, but it was just a sound and what would that even sound like? And do they have that in the dictionary over in like Amsterdam? You know, so now we're at, we're all over the place. That's divergent thinking. Okay, so children who are neurodivergent, wildly creative, often have monsters show up more often. Even though I use that word too many times. And so what they're doing is they are using their limited lived experience to make sense of the situation. So we're afraid of the dark. We're afraid of being alone. We had a hard day. And so there are now monsters in the room because they have a very limited lived experience. They're using what they can to understand the emotional response that's happening within them. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So oftentimes when we're talking about children, I like to emphasize, and I think that this was a really important part of this chapter, an imaginative approach. Do you have a lot of clients that deal with anxiety? Yeah, most of them. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we have very specific sample sizes for this study. So when I think about using logic with somebody that's experiencing monsters or anxiety, I think about how their divergent thinking will talk them out of logic, period. Oh, yeah. oh 100%. And because it'll be like, well, then what if this happens? Well, then what if this happens? Well, then what if this happens? Yes, exactly. And so we want to use imaginative play as a buy-in and something that I thought was really interesting that I came across as I was continuing my research was that it takes 10 to 20 repetitions of learning something new when you do it through play, creating new habits, new associations, and it can take up to 400 if you're not incorporating play. I mean, that makes sense because kids learn through play. Well, and we all learn through play better because it's more aging and our brain is more interested in it naturally than dry lecture do this this and this learning yeah right would you say that's specifically true for the neurodivergent yeah I mean I think for everybody but it's more true for neurodivergent people because your brain needs that buy-in to be able to focus that's kind of where I was leaning also not that I read any statistics on it but it made sense to me based on my accumulated experience that of course, getting creative with our buy-in would make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is just in general. Most of this chapter, we're going to talk about adults and being able to identify our own monsters because I think with children, it can be a simpler process to identify monsters because they're so they're naturally much more imaginative, mm-hmm. and so we can. Oh well, then we made this spell book. And in the book, we'll write the spell and then we'll say it and all of this will disappear, right? Mm -hmm. Or last night, (laughs) my eight-year-old is like, I just, I don't feel good. I'm having a hard time sleeping. I'm just scared that I'm going to have bad dreams. And so she took my um, incense burner 
And she's like, can I use this? So I let her pick which incense she wanted to put on it. It burnt it. And then we talked about how the smoke captures all the bad dreams and blows them away, like as it floats through the air. Love it attracts this. all yes. the bad dreams and then it floats them up and away. And that's how we'll know she won't have bad dreams tonight. And so she was totally bought in, didn't come back out of her room. If I had just told her that you're not going to have bad dreams, don't worry about it. It would not have been as successful. Yeah. Yeah. How would you explain that not being a successful approach? Like why it might not be as successful? Well, okay. Number one, there's not a validation piece involved in it. And so you're not like hearing and validating their experience. And that's something that at bedtime, especially I can struggle with because I'm like, just go to bed. I need five minutes. But if we take the time to validate their experience, then they feel like you are joining with them and they are heard and they're more likely to buy into whatever you are saying rather than just like brushing them off. Mm -hmm. And the divergent brain is going to come up with new creative ways to create monsters if you try and use the use the brain to get out of it in a logical sense. Yeah, absolutely. A what if, right? Because we're wildly creative, we're thinking out of the box. It's like, well, what if? And luckily this time that was pretty magical. It could have moved into a what if it stopped smoking? Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. <clears throat> so when we're using this example, something that came to my mind was, are we viewing our children's monsters as defiance, more or less? Oh, yeah. And I would say for the most part, like uh, um, parents, their first reaction is that the problem is the behavior or the the thing that needs to be addressed. I don't even want to say problem. The thing that needs to be addressed is the behavior. So I'm trying to think of a good example. If your child is um, crying and screaming and really upset, they think that like the screaming and the whining and the crying is the behavior that needs to be addressed. When really, if you are able to hold space and dig deeper into that, there's likely Um, I think I've shared this on the podcast before, but maybe not. Um, one of my daughters, she gets very caught up in like the what if or the assumptions. So we were telling the kids to go get in bed one night and we were like right behind them. We were going to like tuck them in, read their books, do their routine. Okay. But she started getting really upset and I could have just said, you need to go get in your bed right now. But the reason she was upset was once I talked her through it, she said, well, nobody's going to come in and no one had ever said that. But so it's like once I was able to find out what the actual monster was, the fear that nobody's going to come tuck me in, then I'm able to address that. So, yes, I think people, we just take the monster at face value because we're busy, we're parents, we're maybe not in tune, we've got other stuff going on, and we're just like knock that behavior off. Yes, I love that. And so there's a behavior and then there's, there is a monster behind it. And so... Probably in next week's episode, we're going to walk through some skills for adults on how you can identify your own monsters. And that's going to be a really important part in understanding how to support your kids in identifying theirs. But if you had to coach a parent now, let's say with a child that's neurodivergent, that expresses a lot of fears, 
how would you coach a parent in identifying monsters instead of behaviors? Okay, I need to get like an example. So like Johnny is this old and he is afraid of these things. Okay. I a really extreme one just came to my mind, but oh good. Okay. Give me the hardest <laughs> one you got, girl. Like, here good. we go. So Susie is nine and she is afraid that someone is going to break into their house while they're sleeping. Okay. Does she say why she's afraid of this? Bad guys will break into the house. Okay. That's Does it. she say what? Okay. Um, what makes her think bad guys will break into the house? Um, she's never experienced anyone breaking in and her parents have never talked about anyone breaking in and they live in a very small town. In fact, her parents often talk about how it isn't a reasonable belief that anyone would break into their home while they're sleeping. Okay. So if this were me as a therapist, I would recommend that they validate that it does feel scary if you have the fear that someone is going to break in the house. Let me show you the things we have in our house that keep that from happening. So if the windows lock, let's show them that the windows lock, let's show them, you know, all those things, right? And then I would ask like, what kind of tool would help them if the, with the fear? So it could be like a magic wand. It could be smoke that takes fear. It could be any of those things. And then I would use that to help them cope with that feeling of fear. What do you think? I love that. I think that's great. And I think that there's a sticky area of like, well, let's go look at the things all around the house that prevent someone from breaking in that could potentially if we let it, we could take off in the logic. Now we're trying to challenge divergent thinking with convergent. Like, no, X plus Y equals Z. That's it. There's locks on the window. We lock them. No one will break in. But what if they do? So and I don't even think you need to say no one will break in. So I wouldn't even say that. I would just be like, okay, well, let's talk about the things that we have in place to keep you safe. So we lock the doors at night. We have this alarm system, your window locks. So we have those in to keep you safe. And here's the other thing. Um, so, and I think that's where it's, it's all in. It's not, it's not what you do. It's how you do it. That makes sense. So if you do it from a validating approach, approach and add in the other stuff, then it is not getting into logic. But I think there are some kids who need that. And you will know as a parent, if your kid is one of those kids, all of my are, we need all the information. Um, <laughs> and some kids, all the information makes them more anxious. And mm -hmm. so I think it's like a very case by case. And that's why um, it's hard to like answer a general question like this, but as a parent, you'll know. So if my kid, if I give them more information and they spiral, don't give them more information, do not give them more information, <laughs> but if it calms them down and they need that, then add that in. Yes. I love that because as we move into the adults, we're going to talk about specifically identifying and challenging as one of the skills you can use when you're when you have your own monsters, right? When we're not wanting to feel this level of anxiety or to have these monsters, and we know that we're coming, we're starting to spiral. 
because we were having a hard time breaking out of the, the what ifs or the weird pathways. Um, I think another thing that would support parents in identifying the monsters, one, oh, step one, always validate, right? Which I think yeah. is the most important step at all. And that's the step that you and I, Paige, I think that we forget to mention because it's so natural to us because we're therapists. And so we're, we're always, always be validating. I'm just going to make a shirt that says that always be validating. Like, always that's be, validating. be validating. Like, but um, because we're so in with clients and our own kids, I think we forget to mention that like that's number uno, numero uno always is validate no matter what is going on with your kid, validate their experience. And it doesn't mean you have to agree with it. It just means like, I see how you feel this way. Yes, absolutely. I appreciate that. And I appreciate that you stated it in the form of it comes easier to us because we work in the field. Like I am a counselor, you are a social worker. So we have actively been practicing this for thousands of hours. (laughs) It is our purpose, 40 hours a week, validating multiple times an hour, regardless of age, and then also in our spare time because we have our own children. So if this isn't something that is second nature to you, that's okay. Just we start practicing, right? Like we practice. One monster that I think shows up for a lot of kiddos that I have talked with, whether that's my own or friends or clients, is the time one. Like needing to know when are we going and then what comes next and then what's after that and then what are we doing and how do I know it's over or um, what time are we going to do this and what time do we do that and how many minutes, how many minutes, how many more minutes do you ever run into that? Yeah. And this is where I think there's two types of kids. There's kids that need the information. satisfy the monster, right? Like that satisfies the monster. They have the information and then they move on freely about their day, right? They don't ask about it again. And then there's kids that they will spiral from that answer. And you just have to know what kind of kid you have. Yes. And also if it's necessary information, because even though some kids will feel satisfied with the logical answer and move on, we could intensify the power of the monster for the next event. And Give me an example of that. Um, okay. So let's say Johnny's waiting for the bus. These are really generic names. Johnny's waiting for the bus. The bus comes every day at 7.35. So he asks every day, what time is the bus coming? We say, oh, it comes at 7.35. The bus then comes 7.35, comes and goes and there's no bus. And now we're feeling extremely anxious because the bus is supposed to be here at 7.35, 7.35, right? And so there's there's some rigidity when we reinforce with logic on occasion that makes it more difficult to cope with the monsters. So now the next day we have a bigger monster because the bus isn't gonna come at 7.35. It's supposed to, but it's not gonna come. Okay. Yes. And I think it's okay to say the bus comes at 735 and maybe not keep that information from our kids, but then also not like 
harp on the the bus comes at 7:35 and then help them learn the skin and this is the monster part right so like when they are mm-hmm. in the moment and the bus is late like validating them holding space for that emotion um if they are calm enough and in a logical part of their brain talking about how sometimes the bus runs late and gets stuck behind a train or sometimes these things happen and like learning to manage the emotions that come up with it um I think the problem with logic is we want that to be the only method. Sometimes we want Mm -hmm. to just be able to say the bus comes at 735 and have our child be satisfied with that answer. And what you're saying is it doesn't always that way. So when it doesn't go that way, then we need to do the work of like showing up and holding space for our child and helping them learn the skills to manage the feelings that that monster brings, right? Because I don't think the goal is to avoid the monsters completely or make them go away because that's not realistic. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we're ever going to be able to do that in parenting or in life. I agree. And it's more about how to tame your monster, right? Which we reinforce constantly that this stress response, where these monsters are coming from, yes, wildly creative minds, right? And this is what I tell some of the kiddos that I work with is your brain is doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing. It's like we, your brain is, his job is to keep you safe. That's that's the job to keep you safe. Um, And sometimes we need to know if this is a time when our brain needs to keep us safe, or if this is a time when our imagination is taking over. Right. And I think once kids are more aware, like that, this is their monster. Like I know what my monsters are. I know my monsters are conflict hundred percent of the time or confrontation or any emotionally tense conversation. And I can name that to myself. And I go into that monster with full awareness that that's my, that's my monster, you know? Um, and so it helps kids create awareness around that and then build the skills for those specific situations. And I think what you're saying is that ADHD kids or neurodivergent kids are going to likely have more intense monsters because of their brain works. And we as parents, and we as parents cannot just give logic to a kid with monsters and expect that to be sufficient. And I a hundred percent agree with that. And I think it's about finding that sweet spot mix of like, I can answer your question and we can find skills or ways to manage the anxiety. Agreed. I think that that's an excellent way to verbalize that because it emphasizes just the flexibility needed in our parenting approaches, which I think is a really important part in helping our kids identify their monsters. The other part Sometimes kids don't want to name them as monsters and that's supportive. But I think step one, validate. We're validating the experience because the experience is, is real. The experience is real and truly felt. Yes, the emotion behind it really truly felt. Um, and in that validation, we're doing a very important, almost evolutionary step which I have a quote for. So let me pull it up out of the book because it's one of my favorites. And it says, naming things is built deep into our subconscious. To name a thing is to acknowledge its existence as separate from everything else that has a name. And it makes it real 
and able to be communicated about in order to transform its strangeness into familiarity. Wow. I know, I that was a that. long one. <laughs> um, I'm going to like really shorten it down and be like, that's like Dan Siegel's name it to tame it, right? Like when we name something, when we talk about the emotional parts of our brain, like dim, right? So it's not as emotionally intense when we are naming and talk about our experience. And that, I mean, that has to do with everything, every intense emotion, not just worry or anxiety or a monster, right? Like when we talk about things, you feel lighter, you feel better. And it's helping our kids have the space and the awareness to be able to talk about these things. Yeah, the specific part I like about this quote is that it emphasizes that when we're able to assign a name, we're able to label, <laughs> able to label, it transforms from a strangeness into a familiarity. So as we are able to validate, we're validating and in that validation, we're identifying what their emotional experience is, we're naming it for them because that's part of modeling. So then this really scary, unfamiliar sensation that they're having, that they're doing, like remember kids have limited lived experience. So they're just trying to make up a story that helps them understand what's going on. And so when you can label the emotional and physical sensations that they are having, it turns this big, scary monster, this really strange thing into something that becomes more familiar. And as we get more familiar, just like when we get more familiar with people, we become more comfortable living with its existence. Right. And it's like watching a scary movie. The first time you watch a scary movie, like the jump scares, you're like every single time. Right. Um, but the second or third time, it's not even scary anymore. You're kind of like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> like, okay. Like I saw that yeah. one coming. Right. Not and scary. so it's the same thing. The yeah, the more we are verbalize, letting our kids verbalize their monsters to us, and even through like their emotional experience with them, they are, it's like watching the scary movie, they're becoming less and less reactive to that thing. Yes, which with the emotionality attached to ADHD children and, and parents that experience the same neurodiversity, that emotional reactivity piece can be something that is one of the most challenging monsters, right? Like it could be anything. And now we're at a 10. I hear it all the time. Zero, they go to zero to 60. And I can't even tell you what's in between. There is nothing. We're just already at a hundred. Okay. So there's a monster in there. And that response, that big emotion attached to it is if you think of it like a strangeness, it's a monster we're not familiar with. So let's, let's name it. Let's tame it. Let's become more familiar with it so we can get comfortable to anticipate and challenge it. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a challenging question. I'm going to give you a scenario that actually happened to me in one of like my first weeks of doing therapy on my own after graduating, okay? And okay. I need to preface this with like 12 to 15 years ago. So the reference is going to feel like, oh, that's not scary now, but back then it was, okay? So I'm meeting with this kiddo has a lot of fears of like natural disasters, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, whatever. So, and, and he tells me that his, let's just call him James. That's not his real name. Just in case I know his name. <laughs> he tells me that he is afraid of ISIS, that they're going to come over here and attack us. Okay. 
what would your response I'd probably take a deep breath first. I think I would want to know more. I want to understand more. What, what is kiddo's understanding of ISIS? Like okay. what? Go ahead. So they would watch just see clip it's clips of the news and things that were happening in the Middle East at that time. And then they also did this thing. I don't know if they still do it called CNN 10, where they, the kids would, they would expose kids to like news stories in school for 10 minutes a day. And so there was some like basis of knowledge there, but the only thing they really knew was that they hated Americans and that they wanted to hurt all of us or unalive all of us. That's all they knew. Okay. I gave you a really hard one. I just want to acknowledge that for everyone listening. Like, why is she being so quiet? Like, this is a hard, like, what do you say to this kid? And I yeah. think my thought process was like, well, I'm a little afraid of that too. And <laughs> I think I maybe even said that. I maybe even said that, like all that, yeah. that kind of freaks me out too. I get it. I get that that's a fear, right? Like I get that that's a fear. And right. We're bringing the magic and, and what would you say? So I would, one, validate, right? Just like you said. Like, yeah, that Always would be, be really scary. Yeah. That would yeah. be really scary. Like watching that stuff on TV is really scary. And. Do you want to know what I always ask kids? Yeah. Always, 100% of the time. What would make you feel better about this? What would make you feel more safe right now? Yeah, that's exactly because what I was going to ask. And yeah, what would make you feel better about it? Because it's not something that we can control or change and we can't necessarily limit the exposure, but what would help you feel better about this? And that's the thing with like, I can't guarantee someone's not going to break into this like super safe neighborhood into your house, right? Like, yeah. and you could tell your kid all day that that's not going to happen, but they still fear it. And then if it does happen, you have a lot of freaking explaining to do because you just told your kid that was never going to happen. So yeah. <laughs> um, like, but it's, it's more about like, I don't, and, and as parents, we want to fix things. That's why I use this. Example. Mm -hmm. We want to fix things. I want to take fear from my kid because I don't want my sweet little soul to ever be afraid that someone's going to break into our house or that ISIS is going to come over here or whatever it is. Right. Mm -hmm. But we can't do that. We, we don't have that. I mean, it's just life. We cannot. So we can say, what, how can I help you with this? How can I help hold this fear for you? What can I add that's more supportive and safe into your routine? And you obviously want to use like kid language for these questions, but like, what would make you feel safer? Well, um, maybe it's having my stuffed animal lay by me at night. Easy peasy. Okay, here we go. Here's that. Maybe it's you checking on me until you go up to bed. Okay, I can do that. The monster spray. Okay, we can do that, right? Like, so anyway, that that's my point. That's all I had to say. <laughs> no, that's really great. And I think that that's important for parents too to recognize is like, I think I struggle with that as a parent and sometimes as a counselor, because I don't want these precious people that I mm -hmm. have in my life to be experiencing the thing they're experiencing to the intensity that they're experiencing it. And I think one thing that we're specifically trained in the field is like, you don't problem solve. I mean, we kind of do, if you think about it on a wide perspective, 
But like when you're there and you're talking with somebody, your job is not to solve the problem. It's not to be like X plus Y equals Z. And now we're done for the day and I'll see you next week. Right. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the times, one of the questions so I was going to ask that another one I ask is, so um, what do we do? Like, what would we do? What are our options? Because I have a kiddo that their main fear is that if they are inside of a building, lightning will strike the building and everyone inside the building will be harmed. And so sometimes okay. what I, I sometimes, especially it was raining that day too. So it was like a big deal. But sometimes I like to present the question and we do it sometimes as a family is, so what do we do? What would we do? What could we do? Yeah. And something I've also had families do, like, is if, if a child's afraid of fire, like, what do we do? Let's create a family plan so that we know that yeah. there's a plan for if there is a fire. And that's where I think you get to the argument, like, are you lose, using logic? But I think feeling prepared gives us that semblance in our, like, our, our conscious mind of control. Like, mm-hmm. I know what I would do if this happened, that it, it calms the monster a little bit. Because mm-hmm. we can't control or predict if the house is ever going to light on fire. Like that's. It's not know. ever within our control. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's less about logic and more about explaining away or problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and helping the child feel more capable and in control in the moment, whether that is adding safety cues, like stuffed animals, comforting, um, sensory stuff, or, um, creating some kind of plan in case something were to happen. Yes. And then our children are wildly creative. So I promise you that they will have some opinion when you ask them that question, like, what should we do? Or what could we do? Or what would help you feel safer? Like, what do you think we should do? Right. And then that, oh, real quick, this keeps you as a parent from just like shooting in the dark at we're going to try, we're going to try that because then it puts the kid back in the driver's seat. Like, oh, if they think we should do this and that's something that's feasible, then let's try that. There's way less guesswork involved also. Absolutely. And then we circle back to buy-in. Our children will always be more, every human, I would say, is always bought in more when it's their idea. They have a different emotional attachment when it's their idea, 100%. Awesome. So just to wrap up, something that is unique to neurodivergent individuals is their ability for divergent thinking. Lindsay, can you define divergent thinking quickly? Um, so it's creative out of the box, not not one problem, one solution. It is kind of just like all over the place, free flow. If you think like stream of consciousness, that's that's how I think of divergent thinking. It's just wherever your brain goes next. Yes, which means you and your children are wildly creative, which could create wildly creative fears or anxieties, whatever we want this to name is, it. This is totally off topic, but... Um, if you ever watch those shows, like, uh, I don't know if anyone watches Bravo that listens to this, they do like a watch what happens live and they always have a drinking game. And anytime he says a certain word, you're supposed to take a drink. If someone played that game with this episode and took a shot, every time he said wildly creative, they would probably die. 
because there's so many. <laughs> well, if there's one thing I want you to take away from this episode, it's that you are wildly creative and so is your Will child. You please <laughs> name this episode wildly creative for me. I will. Thank you. And Thank you. Because of that, it can also be a pitfall where we get very complicated and end up in a spiral. Your children end up in a spiral and have really big fears that can feel very difficult to navigate. And so the skills that Lindsay and I want to leave you with for navigating these situations with your kiddos are step one, validate their experience. Always yes, be validating. Always be validating. And then two, we're going to name it to tame it right? We're going to make something strange, familiar. We're going to get comfortable with it. And then three, we're going to hand it back. We're going to give it back. What could we do or what would help you feel safer? We're going to hand the problem back to our children so they can use their wildly creative minds to come up with a solution that they're bought into to help tame that monster. Love it. All right, everybody, we'll tune in next week because adults have monsters too. And I think that these can be a lot more challenging to identify and manage. So I'm excited to discuss them. Lindsay and I spent special time creating a resource for you guys. It's called Nervous System Foundation 101. You can find it in our stand store. If you're looking to start the journey of regulating your nervous system and becoming the calm, patient parent that we know you want to be, you're going to want to get your paws on this. It was free for a limited time, and now it's only listed for $7 in our stand store. We're going to go ahead and pop the link to that in our show notes today. So if you're interested in starting the journey to understand the why, how, and what behind nervous system regulation and how it impacts your parenting, go ahead and check it out. Thanks for coming to Mindful as a Mother podcast. If you'd like more of us and Mindful as a Mother, you can find Paige at Instagram at Parenting with Paige and Lindsay at Linz underscore Adams LCSW. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and in our Facebook group, creating community and smashing parental stigma, embracing mindful motherhood and positive parenting. Thanks so much and see you next time.